We had to speed it up a little bit this week. I couldn't handle that uh, last week. It just stressed me out so bad. I want to welcome you again to St. John. Welcome to our series, In the Waiting. My name's Dion. So glad that you're here. Glad you're joining us online, too. And we started this series last week, um, and I, I love so much about the introduction to last week. Pastor Doug Moss did an incredible job last week, um, as always, and, and I, I just feel so grateful that he's on, on our side, right? Um, one of the good guys. Think of all the damage that guy could do selling timeshares. <laughs> It's good that he's on our side. Yeah, so we're grateful for you, Pastor Doug. Um, yeah, I love I loved so much about the message last week. I did, I did take issue with one small thing in last week's message, and that was, that was, that was basically the entire theme. Uh, if you didn't catch it, last week's message was, in the waiting, take it personally. And I just sat there thinking, is there any other way to take waiting other than personally? Because I don't know about you, but, but every time I have to wait, I take it very, very personally. Like when I'm in my car driving, and you know, there are all these people out there, and there's traffic, and I'm late, and I'm running late, and all these people are in my way. I, I just don't, you know, think about the flow of traffic, and that it's a busy Friday afternoon, or anything else. No, no, no. My, my, my understanding of what's going on right now is all of these idiots are trying to make me late. I take it personally. Or uh, when I'm in a waiting room... And uh, my appointment was at 2 o'clock, and, and uh, it's, now, it's now 2.25, and they still haven't called my name, right? right. If, if they're not going to call your name until 2.30, just tell me to be there at 2.30. I'll show up on time, and, you know, why, why tell me to be at 2 o'clock? But, but I'm sitting there, and, I, and all I can think about is, why don't these people respect my time? Don't they care? And, you know, whatever's going on back there, whatever emergency doesn't enter my mind, it's only that I'm still sitting there waiting 30 minutes past my appointment time. Or uh, anyone like to do online shopping this time of year? done the waiting thing for a package uh, when I'm waiting for a delivery and you know, it says two day shipping and it's been two days and the package isn't here. You know, two day shipping means two days to me. I don't know about you, not three days. Three days to ship a package? Are we living back in 1910? Like, come on. It's two days. And, and my wife, who's a much more patient person than I am, she'll say to me, she'll say, Dan, do you really think the whole world is trying to make you miserable? And, and yeah, I do. I, I take it, I take it very personally when people when people make me wait. And uh, and you know, I, I'm not proud about that. It's something that I'm, I'm working on. But I realize that this is this is like a deep seated thing in in me. In fact, I now have scientific proof that I'm probably one of the least patient people that you'll ever meet. Um, and uh, and the way I found this out is our staff did an inventory a couple of months ago called the Predictive Index. And it's a behavioral tendency inventory, so it kind of measures like how you behave in different circumstances. And it, uh, it measures four factors. Your dominance, your extroversion, your patience, and your formality. And I just want to show you what my PI looks like. And guess which one represents my patience or my lack thereof. Um, so it's, it's over here, way over in the negative side. Now, what you probably can't see is right next to this, this uh, little dot right here that represents my patience, there's a little tiny arrow that, that's there. And I, I asked someone, I was like, so what does that arrow mean? Because I don't see him anywhere else on these and I don't see him on mine. And they said, oh yeah, great question. That actually means that, that your patience, your lack of patience is actually over here on the chart. <laughs> there wasn't just room for it. I kid you not. Um, so my wife was delighted to hear this because finally she has vindicated that after 20 years of being in a relationship with me, she, she has scientific proof that I am in fact the least patient person that she knows and that my patience is off the charts. And this also explains why you're not going to hear from me a lot in this series. Next week it's on to someone else last, cause, cause I don't have much to say about this. I'm not a patient person and I'm not proud about that because my lack of patience brings 
a lot of pain into my life, but not just in the little stuff, not just in the waiting rooms and in traffic and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, but, but where I really feel the pain of waiting is in the bigger stuff. Like when I'm waiting on God for an answer, you know, not just an answer to a curiosity, but, but an answer to something that is, that is really important, where I need to hear from God and I'm calling out to him and I'm waiting, I, I really feel the pain then. Or, or when I'm waiting on God for healing, I've been blessed with good physical health. The, the kind of healing that I tend to wait for is, is healing for a broken heart or a crushed spirit. And you know when you're in a season like that and you're, and, you're, and you're begging God to do a work of healing in you and it just doesn't seem like he's coming fast enough or coming at all or, or if, you're, if you've got a God-sized problem in your life. I don't know if any of you have God-sized problems. I've got plenty of problems and some of those problems can be solved with lesser means but then there are some problems in my life that are God-sized problems. I don't know about you. And I'm begging God to show up and intervene and, and, and do a miracle like he does throughout scripture in my life. And, and in those moments of waiting, that's when, it, that's when it gets the most painful for me. That's when I tend to take it most personally. Again, I don't know about you. But when I'm in a season like that, that's when I start asking myself questions about what have I done wrong? What am I missing? Have I done something to make God angry or, or disappoint him? Have I, have I done something to bring this on myself? Am I, am I missing something? Is there some lesson I can quickly learn so that we can get this thing moving again? I take it very personally, which can be good. It, it can be very good. Like we heard last week, I, 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 just to set the record straight, I loved the message last week. I thought it was spot on. You know, God may be trying to help me surrender my illusion of control, or he may be trying to grow me or form me in some other way, it may be very personal. But sometimes, sometimes, I, sometimes maybe I take it too personally. Because sometimes when I'm in the waiting, sometimes it's not about me at all. And today we're going to look at a couple who is, who is in the waiting, and they've been in the waiting for quite a while. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, we're going to read their story in Luke chapter 1. Um, you can follow along in your Bible, page 1024. Um, story of a, of a couple who is in the waiting for decades, but we're going to discover that their waiting is, is maybe a little bit different than, than what maybe a lot of us expect. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, and by the way, Herod wasn't a proper king. He was, he was actually more like a governor under the great Caesar. This is part of the Roman Empire now. Um, but because Israel had had a king as a part of their history, um, the, the, the Caesar allowed Herod to be called a king just to appease the people. So in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, who was also a priest. So you have this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're both from priestly families. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very Old. So you get a little bit of uh, introduction on Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, but what you get more than introduction is you get, a, you get a disclaimer on what their wait is about. So, so yes, 
They've been waiting for a child for a long time and they're childless. And yes, they're now both very old, it says. And yes, they're both priestly people. And yes, in their culture, there was kind of this assumption that, that if you didn't have a child, that meant that you weren't a good person. Because the Bible said that if you were a righteous person, God would establish your descendants on the earth forever. And if you were a wicked person, God would snuff out your descendants. And so if you couldn't have a child, it was kind of this, this view that, man, you must be wicked. And God's trying to snuff you out and erase your line from the earth. And and so this was a source of, of, of more than just longing for a child for them. This was a source of deep, deep shame and pain in their lives. And so, yes, all of that's true. But right now we have a disclaimer that, that no, this isn't their fault. This weight that they've been living with for, for decades now, it, it's not their fault. And the reason we know that is what we just read. It says they were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees Blamelessly, So they weren't perfect people, but what this is saying, what Luke is telling us, is that this is not about God trying to teach them a lesson. This is not about God, you know, somehow being dis- displeased with them. This isn't some mistake that they made. This isn't some unconfessed sin in their life. This isn't, this isn't anything personal. They're, they've been blameless. They've lived a God-pleasing life as much as anyone can. This weight is entirely about something else in their life, and uh, we'll see what it is. It says, once when Zechariah's division, so these, uh, these priests were divided in different divisions like the military, and they were called to active duty in the temple. So while his division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, um, kind of by divine providence, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside because this is how the temple worked. You didn't get to come into the innermost parts of the temple. There was kind of the place where people gathered and then all of the important sacrifices happened inside and certain people were selected like Zechariah by lot and uh, they could do different parts of the sacrificial rituals and then there were certain places only the high priest could go. So the people are praying outside but Zechariah is in the inside and while he's there it says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense where he's burning this incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear because who expects to go to church and actually meet God, right? We just come to church because this is what we're supposed to do. It's Sunday and this is what we do, not because we're, we're there to meet God, but suddenly an angel's there and he's startled and the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, uh, again, Zechariah's going into the temple on behalf of the people and he's offering this incense and incense is a symbol, uh, a sacrifice of the prayers of the people and as that prayer, as the incense rather would rise up to the heavens, it was uh, a sign of assurance to the people that, that their prayers were also rising up, that God was hearing them but as Zechariah is burning this incense as he's doing this on behalf of the people, what we don't know is if in that moment he was also taking this opportunity because you didn't get to do this very often even if you were a priest. You didn't get to go and, and, and burn the incense in the temple. So maybe this was his shot to finally air his grievances before God. To ask God some questions about why he and his wife had been left waiting for so long. What, what had they had done wrong? Maybe to confess his frustration or his confusion or his lack of understanding. Or, or maybe, actually, what I think is more likely is that Zechariah wasn't saying any of that at all, but, but instead, this, this, this weight in his life, this issue in his life, had become that kind of thing that, that lives under the surface, always there. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
that those things in life that you don't have to say much about them because they're always there. And in fact, if someone says something, they can just say the littlest thing and it calls it to the surface again, but it's always kind of there just under the surface. The, the pain, the disappointment, the confusion, the longing that you might experience in life. For some of you right now, you're experiencing that. That may be, a, you're, you're waiting for a call from a doctor about a really important medical issue. And, uh, and, and no one even, it's just, it's just, it's there all the time. Every time your phone buzzes or dings, you're, it's, it's just there again, right? Or some of you are, are waiting for an adoption match. You're waiting for a call from an agency to say, hey, we've got, a, we've got a match for you because you, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, long to have a child and that's not been given to you yet. Or there are some of you who are longing for companionship in your life. You know, you're longing to meet someone to spend life with and you want it so badly, but it's not happening for you. And, and that's the thing that's just always under the surface. Some of you are, are you know, waiting on a, a business deal that is gonna be a make or break it kind of situation for you and your family. The difference between, between putting food on the table and paying the mortgage or not, or, or maybe it's keeping your business open or laying everyone off and shutting, shutting the doors. Um, you know those kinds of issues, right? And they just live under the surface. See, I think it's likely that Zechariah wasn't saying a word, but instead he's just doing his duty. But, but here's what I love. Here's what I love, that God hears him. And this is true, that, that even if you don't have a, a really well-written prayer, and even if you're not articulating you know, your deep needs before God and wearing him out with all of your words, God, God sees those things in our life, those those, those hurts, those pains, those longings that lie under the surface all the time. He sees them and he hears them without us even expressing them. He hears them, he sees them, he knows them. And contrary to what we might think while we're living in the waiting, he's, he's actively doing something on our behalf to respond. So the angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and, and then says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice. I love this. So, so in other words, Zechariah, you're about to get this thing that you've longed for. You're going to get a son. Your, your disgrace and your shame is going to be taken away. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to give you a lineage. It's going to be a joy to you, but it's not just about you, Zechariah. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. See, Zechariah, you probably have thought your whole life that this has been something about you, something personal against you, some insult, some offense, some misunderstanding, you know, whatever. But here the angel says, this isn't just about you. This is about something God wants to do in you that's so much greater. Andy Stanley um, says that, that it may just be that the greatest thing that you do in life isn't something that you do, but it's someone that you raise, Maybe that's true of a lot of us sitting in this room. It's, our contribution to the world isn't something that we do, but it's someone that we raise. And that's certainly true of Zechariah, but I don't think he fully sees it yet. The angel goes on and says, uh, this son of yours is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So he'll be under this religious vow. He'll live differently. But what's going to be remarkable is that the Holy Spirit, the spirit that's not given to everyone back in these days, will rest on him before he is even born. And, and this is what he'll do. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. People who have gone astray. And then he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of the great Old Testament prophet Elijah who did signs and wonders like nobody else. He will be a prophet like Elijah and he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous 
and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. (laughs) And you think about Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of those years that they wondered and they wrestled and they questioned and they beat themselves up and they wore God out with, with their pleading. And what they didn't know is that their waiting, it wasn't personal. See, sometimes it's not about you at all, the waiting. And I think if we could just understand this, if we could just embrace this, that sometimes it's not about us, sometimes it is, and we talked about that last week, and that's true, but sometimes it's not, and, and I can't tell you the difference, but God can reveal that to you. And if, if you've waited on God, and if you've surrendered control, and you've invited God to have his way, and you find yourself still waiting, th- then maybe you just need to embrace this, because when you do, then maybe that means you'll stop beating yourself up all the time, right? Taking it so personally, and we do this, don't we? You wait and you wait and you wait and God doesn't answer. And, and, so, and so you start to beat yourself up. You start to imagine that not only is this situation out of your control, but whatever the situation is, it's all your fault. And you say, if I was only more faithful, if I was only more patient, if I was only less sinful, if I was only more obedient, if I, if I was only more mature, if, if only I hadn't messed up that thing so many years ago, or if I could go back and do that over again, then maybe I wouldn't be in this situation right now. That's what we do when we're waiting, Right? And sometimes, yes, that's true. And sometimes, no, it's not true. Sometimes it's not about you at all. And I hope if if you're someone who's been in the waiting for a really long time and you've examined yourself and you've invited God in, but you still find yourself in the waiting, I hope what this does is this enables you to be gracious with yourself in the waiting, knowing that maybe this isn't about you. But even more than that, when you realize this, that sometimes it's not about you at all, when you realize this, do you know what that then enables you to do? That that enables you to embrace the role, the really important part God is inviting you to play in the bigger picture, in the bigger story that he's writing for the world. My son Corbin is uh, in third grade and he's playing basketball on a community rec league. He, you'll see him sometimes in here. He loves to usher during the services and so sometimes he's running around in here. And, um, but he's playing basketball. And um, I, I've told you this before, I love basketball, but basketball never really loved me. Um, we kind of had that kind of relationship. And so um, as Corbin's been playing basketball this year, I'm thinking about to my thinking back to my own basketball career and I'm thinking specifically of those seasons where I spent a lot of time sitting on the bench, waiting for the last 30 seconds of the game, where the coach would finally look my way, either because we were so far ahead that I couldn't mess it up, or we were so far behind that it didn't matter. Um, and, uh, you know, 30 seconds, they'd hit the buzzer, and you say, Dion, you can go in. Which, by the way, if any of you are coaches, that's a terrible way to coach. Just leave me on the bench because the pressure of trying to do something amazing in 30 seconds is just too great for anyone, let alone a middle school boy. So just leave me on the bench the whole time. But, but I remember sitting there on the bench and just, you know, burning a hole in my coach's head, being like, look this way, just waiting for the moment where he'd turn and be like, hey, Dion, you know, you go, go sub in. And uh, so many games I waited and I waited and I waited and it never came until the final 30 seconds of the game. And, and, uh, and I remember as I sat there just taking it so personally 
Looking over at my parents on the other side of the gym and just, you know, feeling like I disappointed them and looking at my friends and feeling so embarrassed and, and, just, and just taking it so personally and thinking, man, if I only was, was taller, if I could run faster, if I, could, if I practiced harder, maybe if I could get the coach to like me more, he'd give me more playing time. And I remember just sitting there, just, just feeling like it was so personal. And again, part of that's sports and part of that's improvement and part of that's good. But, but I'll tell you what, if I could go back and sit down next to middle school me on that bench, here's what I'd say. Hey, I'd say, Dion, maybe some of this is about you and maybe you should practice rather than playing Nintendo. You should get out there and dribble the ball and, and maybe you should listen or work harder and practice or learn to plays better. Maybe that's true. But maybe the waiting isn't about you. Maybe those kids who are out there right now who are stealing your playing time, Maybe, maybe this is a way bigger deal for them than it'll ever be for you. Maybe, maybe they need this more than you need it. Maybe God is doing something in them that, that he doesn't need to do in you. This is something about them right now. And maybe, and maybe simply by sitting on that bench, warming it, waiting, maybe you're actually doing something really important in the bigger picture. Now, it may sound crazy, but, but my guess is that at some point in your life, um, you've experienced something like that. You've been on, you've been on the other side of it even. See, because I go back and I think, if middle school me could just learn this lesson about the power of waiting and what that means for someone else, then maybe that would change the way I am in traffic. And I wouldn't be so frustrated. I realize that maybe the guy who just cut me off, maybe he needs to get there quicker. Maybe there's something bigger going on in his life. And maybe it would help me in the really big stuff. But, but, but I'll tell you what's really powerful It's those moments in my life when I look back and I think like I've been on the other side of that. I've been the recipient of someone else's unjust, unfair, long waiting, but I've been blessed by that. And if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever been on the other side of it, I I bet you have, and maybe you need to think about it this week. I think this can transform our thinking and our acting while we were sitting in the waiting. For me, I think back uh, without question to the first church that I served at out of seminary church called St. Matthew. It was in the metro Detroit area. And uh, this church, this church had been waiting for over four years to find an associate pastor for the, for the role that I eventually came and filled in. Uh, you know, they, they had looked all over and they had called different people, tried to hire different pastors and invited them to come and they had their hearts broken. And, and for four years, they just, just, you know, couldn't find someone, couldn't find someone. Or they'd find someone, they'd be excited about him and, and he would say no. And so finally they gave up trying to look for the right guy and they just hired me. Uh, and and I, I mean that sincerely. And it may, maybe some of you have been hired for jobs like that where you're like, I know I'm not what you were looking for, but I'm just grateful to have a job. And so uh, for me, this, this was me. Um, this was on my ordination installation day. And uh, I mean, look what a baby I was then. Uh, just, I, I was out of school. I'd been a professional student my whole life, four years of college, four years of seminary. And uh, this church wanted a, a seasoned pastor who knew how to counsel people and had leadership ability. And I just knew how to take tests and write papers really well. And, and you know, here's my daughter, Ellie. She was out here just a minute ago singing, uh, rocking around the Christmas tree. And so that's, that was her back then. And my wife, Jocelyn, and my parents, they were just in town this weekend. And and, uh, and, and I just remember walking into that church and thinking, you've waited for over four years for a pastor, and, and then I show up. And I, man, I, I know I had gifts and abilities, and I th- thought God was going to do something with me, but I, I know these people had waited a long time, and that increases expectation a little bit. And then I remember what the senior pastor at that church said, Paul Moldenhauer is his name, and he is such a kind, kind man. Um, but he said it to me really early on, and he said it about me in front of other people. 
Uh, and here's what he said. He said, you know what? For, for so many years we wondered and we, we wondered what God was doing and why we couldn't find a pastor and what was this waiting all about. And finally we realized the reason we had to wait four years is because our pastor, the pastor God wanted for us, he hadn't even graduated seminary yet. And I remember hearing him say that and just thinking, could that be true? Could that be true? Could God cause an entire church to wait for four years, not so they could get some amazing pastor, and I, I did good ministry there, I'm not looking for compliments, I'm not fishing for anything here, but, but you know, would he make a church wait for, for an entire four years, not just to get some pastor, but, but would, God, would God hear this, would God make an entire church wait for over four years because he loved me and my wife and our 14-month-old daughter that much that, that he was willing to keep a spot open that would be a really great spot for us to grow and serve and be loved right near our family so our, our kids could grow up near their grandparents for a little while? Would, would God love us enough that he would provide something so wonderful for us, but he would make a church wait for four years, make you know, this great senior pastor carry it alone for four years? Would God possibly do that? Could he do that? And you know, as I sit here today, I still struggle to believe. It seems so unfair to me. It seems so wrong. And yet, the more I know God, the more I understand his character, the more I believe, yeah, he would, because he loves that deeply. And, And that's what I want you to understand today. That sometimes your waiting, it's not about you. Sometimes you're in the waiting because of what God is doing in the bigger picture, but you get the chance to play a really important part in what God is doing in someone else's story, and that can be a great blessing to you. And I know that's hard, especially when you're in the waiting for something really big, those things that I talked about before, for, for a match or for a, for a deal or for a call from a doctor. I know that's really hard, and it's not easy. And for Zechariah, it wasn't easy either, and we're not gonna look at this today, but you can study it this week in the Growing Deeper, and I hope you, you do look at that. But for Zechariah, the angel appears to him and says, hey, your wait is over, but Zechariah has gotten so used to taking it personally that he struggles to believe it, and he kind of talks back to the angel, and the angel says, okay, you want to talk back? You're going to be silent now, and, and so he's silent until he goes home, and his wife becomes pregnant, and they give birth to their son, and they name their son John, just like they were told, and then Zechariah, his, his tongue is loosed, and he starts praising God, but this son, this son, John, whom we know as John the Baptist, This son that was born to them so late and and after so much waiting was a son who was not just a gift and a, a delight and a blessing to them, but he was a son who was truly a gift to the world, who came at just the right time. See, see, the angel was right. Go figure. The angel was right. And John would become one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Before there could be a Jesus, there had to be a John. And because of John, people were ready. They were prepared for Jesus. And his ministry was even more powerful because of John. But, but 30 or 40 years ago, back when Zechariah and Elizabeth, all their friends were having babies and they were the ones who were left out and they were crying out to God saying, God, why not us? Why have we been left behind? Why can't we share in this joy? 30 or 40 years ago when all that was happening for everyone else, it wasn't the right time for the world to welcome John. It wasn't the right time for the world to welcome then later on Jesus. See, Israel wasn't ready yet, and, and, and more than that, the world wasn't ready yet. I think, I think we needed that 30 or 40 years to get ready so that people like us, the Gentiles, that we might have a chance to hear and be brought into this amazing thing. 
Or think about it this way. Back when Zechariah and Elizabeth so badly wanted a baby and they were crying out to God every day for it, Mary, the one who would become the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, she wasn't even born yet. And Caesar Augustus, the one who would issue the decree that everyone would have to go to their hometown for a census, that, that census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus would be, uh, would be born in Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus wasn't even in power yet. And, and more than that, Pontius Pilate, the man who would oversee the crucifixion of Jesus, who would make the most significant political decree in all of the world who would sentence Jesus to die on a cross that would mean our redemption, that would mean the salvation of the world. Pontius Pilate was not yet a twinkle in his daddy's eye back when Zechariah and Elizabeth were crying out to God, wondering what they did wrong, wondering why he wouldn't give them a baby. And you think about all the years that they might have taken it personally, wondering, feeling offended, feeling overlooked, feeling frustrated, feeling heartbroken. And it wasn't about them. God loved them. He delighted in them. It just wasn't time for the rest of us. It wasn't time for John. It wasn't time for Jesus. But in the waiting, they got invited to play a really important part in the history of the world and in the history of our salvation. See, I think the same can be true of us. As you sit here today in the waiting, maybe there's something God's trying to teach you. Maybe he's trying to grow you. Maybe he's trying to get you to surrender control. That may be true. Or maybe God is inviting you to play a really important part in his bigger story in the world around you. And part of playing that part simply means being a person who's willing to wait. And that's true for us as a church. As I said at the beginning, Advent is this season where, where we wait, where we acknowledge the waiting that we are under, not just for Jesus to come in Bethlehem, but for Jesus to come again. And so part of the, part of the, the history of the church during Advent is that we, we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. I know it's kind of a weird song, and maybe you don't know what those words mean, but it's, it's our cry of saying, Jesus, come back for us. And during Advent, we, we just make that cry really clear that this world is broken, that yes, Jesus has come and he gave his life for it, but he's coming back and we're waiting for him to come back and to put an end to our violence and to, and to put an end to wars and to, and to human trafficking and, and cancer and, and middle school mean girls. Like put an end to them, please Jesus, right? Um, put an end to all of that. And, and we're waiting on Jesus to do that. And, and you know, here's what I know, that sometimes we can take this really personally because life gets heavy and we get worn out and, and I can't even watch the news anymore. I don't know about you, but, but, but it, just, it just gets heavy and you start to think, God, are you not listening? Are you not paying attention? Are you not out there? Are, are you not coming back? Do we misunderstand your promise that you're gonna come back and you're gonna make this world right? Or God, is there something that we're missing? Do we have to do something different? Do we have to do something to get you to come back? And, and we start to take it really personally. But even there, the, the scriptures tell us why we're in the waiting for Jesus still. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. His promise to come back, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to Repentance. See, we might be tempted to, to take it personally and say, Jesus, why are you coming back for us? Here's your answer. It's not about you. Instead, God is trying to do something in this world and he's, he's trying to get the attention of as many people as possible so that no one perishes. But everyone 
might come to repentance, they might turn and find the love and the hope and the grace and the belonging that comes through Jesus. And you know, if if we can embrace this, that it's not about us, then maybe that means that we, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, can also embrace, embrace the role that we get invited to play, that simply by waiting well for Jesus, we're being invited to play a really significant part in God's greater story. So I'm telling you, if, if, we can just, if we can just, if we can grab a hold of this today, instead of taking it so personally, instead of being offended, instead of feeling frustrated or overlooked or forgotten, which is how we often feel, if we can learn that we have a part to play in a beautiful, greater story, and the way we do that is simply by waiting well as we sit in our longing, as we sit in the waiting. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that your view of life, of this world, of existence is so much bigger than mine because I confess I experience life at such a limited level. I see so little. I, I see what you're doing in my life and what you're not doing in my life and I assume that's all that you're doing and I I just confess that to you that that's where my uh, lack of patience comes from and and, uh, Father, I confess that to you but I thank you that your vision is bigger and Father, I'm, I'm thankful today that although you really do hear us as we cry out to you, as we cry out in our longing, you do hear us. And, and Father, right now, I just, I, I want to lift up to you and invite you to hear us as we cry out. Those people who are sitting here today who are crying out for companionship, who are crying out for a child, who are crying out for financial provision, who are crying out for some sort of reconciliation or healing in relationships or healing in their bodies, who are, who are crying out to you while they wait on a call from a doctor or from a di- for a diagnosis or, or for, for news of remission or, or Father, whatever it is, as, as we wait on you, we, we invite you to hear us and we invite you to, to come to our aid and we pray that you wouldn't delay and that you'd be good. But, but Father, if you choose to keep us waiting, give us this perspective that sometimes it's not about us. And help us be gracious with ourselves and trusting toward you as we play whatever part you're inviting us to play. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth did in all those decades of waiting. Help us learn to embrace our role and to find joy in whatever you're doing in the greater story of this world and in the greater story of other people's lives as we wait. Father, especially this Advent season, as we along with Christians throughout the centuries cry out, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come, Jesus, come, come and save us. We pray that you might bring more of Jesus into our lives, but that you might use us to bring more of Jesus, truly who Jesus is to the world around us. We pray it in his mighty name. Amen. I invite you to stand now as we sing a song that probably doesn't need any explanation to you as to why we're singing.